This is the Commission Church Online. Welcome to our podcast. We want to be a church who brings heaven on earth through the word of God and the love of Christ. I pray this week's message blesses you. Man, I'm excited for the word of God. Um, If you would turn with me to Luke, the gospel according to Luke. Um, That's where we'll go with the study for today. Gospel according to Luke, chapter number 19. Um, and we'll go to verse 28 and we'll read a few verses. Uh, but I want to ask y'all, uh, was there something that like you've ever been promised, but you showed up like a bait and switch thing where you showed up to it and it wasn't really what was promised to you and what you didn't get. I remember I was in, uh, uh, in the Middle East a long time ago and uh, we were having dinner with a few friends, uh, and, um, you know, right after dinner, I looked at them and said, hey, you want to go, you want to go get dessert? And they said, yeah, absolutely. And we started driving, we got in the car, we started driving. I thought they, would, they knew where they were taking me to and we started driving and felt like this drive was endless. I, I still remember like it, it took us almost like an hour to get to dessert and I was like, where are we going? And all I saw was highways and highways and highways and finally they pull up into the, the desert and uh, you know, and I'm like, where, what are we doing here? And like, pastor, you said you wanted to go, to, go get dessert. And I said, dessert, like not desert, dessert. And, and somehow... It was the same for them, right? I, I don't know if you've ever been there, not, not in that same situation before, but I, I, I was like, what, what? I don't know what to do right now. But we enjoyed the, de- the dessert at, at that point in time. Uh, you know, midnight, it was 12 o'clock and we were in the, de- the dessert, not knowing what to do. But man, uh, you know, when, when, the, when the promise of Jesus was given to the people of Israel, uh, I've always thought about it. I've always thought about it and wondered about it before we read this verse. I still remember when the angels, I know this is not Christmas, but it's kind of like this Christmas message where when the angels brought the message of Jesus and the announcement of Jesus, they came to the shepherds at night and they told them and said, today unto you, what is born? A savior is born. A savior is born. If you look at the wise men, the wise men started pursuing uh, the star. They see the star. They see the sign. And they say, man, we've been promised this king. So these three kings, these wise men, not not three, but these group of wise men, they start following the star, heading towards the direction of, uh, you know, Jerusalem. And, and, And they were looking for a newborn king. They weren't looking for a savior. The promise was a savior. I will send a savior to this world. But they were looking for a king. It came in the same packaging. It was Jesus. But they were looking for something that they, I don't know if they would feel disappointed or not. But the Bible says they arrived, they saw him, and they worshipped him. But I still remember that to this day, is that they came looking for a king, but the promise was that of a savior. It doesn't take away from the fact that Jesus was king. It doesn't take away from the fact that Jesus was savior. I want to title my message, Savior and King. It's so important in our Christianity, in our, in, in our belief systems, not to omit the character of God in its trueness, in its entirety. Not just pick and choose what we want to pick and choose about Jesus, but actually what does Jesus want us to know about him? 
On this Palm Sunday, I want to draw your attention to Luke chapter 19, verse 28. The Bible, the Bible um, is, is, is beautifully illustrating this, and I'll talk about this, a little more about this as the other Gospels write about it, but we'll read through this passage, and for those of y'all who don't have your Bibles, you can follow on the screen. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going, going up to Jerusalem, verse 29, when he, he, the Bible's talking about Jesus, when Jesus drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a cold tide on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it as, as they had, so those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on it, Jesus sat on it. And he rode along. They spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen saying, blessed is the king, someone say, is the king, who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Would you pray with me? Father, would you speak to us through the word? Give me the ability to communicate this message in an efficient way. In the next few minutes that are in front of us, I pray, God, that you will give us ability to understand your word in a very true and deep way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Like I said earlier, we're on Passion Week. We're upon Passion Week. Uh, it often, depending upon what church you grew up in, you probably celebrated Palm Sunday, which probably involved people giving out, or the church giving out leaves to people, that, that, and you would wave it, and, and you would praise, and you would sing Hosanna, and some people call it Hosanna Sunday. Uh, for some people, you didn't even celebrate uh, Palm Sunday. Uh, for some of us, it was, it, was just, uh, it was just Palm Sunday as the calendar told it, told told us it was, and you probably heard a message like you're going to hear about today. We don't have any crazy extravaganza. Uh, we don't have leaves as you walk outside after service for you to wave in the air. We're not going to pass them out today. We don't see significance in any of that, but we do see significance in today being the first day of what we call the Passion Week. Throughout this week, there are things that would happen if we would look back at what happened to Jesus during this week, there are things that happened this week that would form and shape what ha would happen on Sunday morning, uh, on Easter morning, on Resurrection morning. Passion Week depends, it, it starts with Palm Sunday today, and it ends with Easter. So we have Good Friday, we have, uh, we have the, the, the Quiet Saturday, and then Sunday, the Day of Resurrection. But just like anything else, Jesus lays emphasis on a lot of important teachings in the Bible. If you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are a lot of stories in, in all of these four Gospels that are very congruent. You'll find them in all books because they're so important that all Gospel writers talk about it. Even in the words of Jesus, if you often look at the words of Jesus, he'll use words such as, verily, verily, I say unto you. Or, I say this to you, and I say it again. Again, I say to you. 
words that he lays so much of emphasis on. He says, listen to this. And he'll say, here's what I'm about to tell you. See, all gospel narratives actually hold account of this particular story that we just read. Because every one of them remembered it so vividly and so clearly because of the day that that particular event happened. What day was it? People were in town for a big feast. It was one of the big three feasts. It was the Passover and uh, the, the, the day. And when he had said these things, he went on to Jerusalem. That particular day that Jesus picked to go into Jerusalem, if you count back from Easter, that particular day was the 10th day of the, of, of the if, you, if you bring up that slide, it was the 10th day of the month of Nisan. Not the car, Nisan. This is the 10th day of the month of the Hebrew month, Nisan. And it was a day that was very, very important. Or in the Julian calendar as we have it today, it was April 6th of 32 AD. On this particular day, every single year, each family, each Jewish family, they would go and pick a lamb for sacrifice. They would go into the marketplace or they would pick a lamb from the, the collection that they had. They would pick the purest, the most beautiful, the most nicest of the lambs that they had. Not the one that they wanted to dispose and throw away. Not the ones that the limbs were broken, but the most perfect lamb they would pick for them to take to go and sacrifice. It's, if, if I was to liken it to today, we don't do sacrifices in the church today, but uh, how many of you love Thanksgiving? Any of y'all, y'all, y'all like Thanksgiving? None of y'all? Uh, okay, cool. <laughs> I love to eat at Thanksgiving. The turkey is a big thing, right? We don't like turkey for the rest of the year, but that day everybody loves turkey, right? But we go and buy the turkey a week before, or, you know, some of us the day before, and we're like trying to thaw it out, you know, but... If, if, if we all have sense and if we know what we're doing, we buy it a week in advance. We thaw it out in the refrigerator based on the weight. And you all have that idea of how we want to do it, right? But, but it's kind of like that. So they would go. They would prepare themselves. They would buy it. On the 10th day of the month of Nisan, they would buy the lamb and they would get it ready. On the 14th day, they would take this lamb, this lamb that they had picked, this lamb that they had handpicked, this lamb that was pristine, beautiful, and this is important to kind of understand all of this stuff. If you don't listen today, you're not going to understand anything. Everything is, is so interconnected. So on the 14th day, uh, James, if you would go on, on the 14th day, they would go, go, they would take this lamb, they would go to the temple, and they would have the priest inspect the lamb. They would make sure that the, the, the priest signs off and says, you're good to go and sacrifice this lamb. That seal of approval, the seal of this is good to go, had to happen for this lamb to be sacrificed on the day of Passover. Now, there were three mandatory feasts, like I said, and Passover was one of the main ones. Now, Josephus, the historian, would go on to tell us that there were around 256,000 lambs that were killed on average on the Passover day. Like at the peak of the Passover, there were around 256,000 lambs that would be killed on that particular day. Some people would do one per family. But it could be to where they could do 10 people per family. They could, if, if they couldn't afford their own lamb, families will join together and they will get one lamb and they will sacrifice it together. Like some of us share our Netflix passwords with each other. Like do it, nobody? Okay, y'all are holy people. Okay, cool. Uh, 
But, but sharing was caring. All right, they would all come together. And they, so if there were 10 people, there were people that, you know, that shared because they were the poor, they were the rich, they were the middle class. But they would say, Josephus would go on to say that at any, any year, there would be around 2.5 million people that would show up in Jerusalem for that one big feast of the Passover. They would camp out everywhere. They would pitch their tents because that weekend for them was a big weekend. And it's on this day that Jesus makes an appearance sitting on a donkey. Okay? The day that he has the best audience, the day that he has the best crowd, the day that he has everybody in visibility, the day that everybody is watching all eyes on him, he chooses to ride in on a, someone say, donkey. Now, it's weird to me because of just the track history that Jesus has. Uh, for three years, Jesus has been building his ministry toward this day. For three years, he has performed one miracle after another miracle after another miracle. For three years, he has healed the sick. He has healed the lame. He has healed the blind. He has healed the leprous. For three years, Jesus attracted one crowd after the other, teaching them about the kingdom of God. For three years, he has fed people, he has taught people, and then not even more than about a week before this, he actually goes to the, the house of Lazarus, the house of Martha and Mary, and raises the brother of Lazarus from the dead. So by the time Jesus gets to Jerusalem, he is primed, the, the crowd is primed, people are ready to receive the king, to receive the Messiah, the palm, the palm branches are out, they are singing Hosanna, they have heard about the wondrous works, they have heard about the miracles, they have heard about the amazing things that Jesus has done, and here is the critical, crucial moment. Because wherever Jesus went, there was a crowd of people. He was controversial, but he was popular at the same time. He undoubtedly had some powers that people knew about. And this was the man that people were looking to see. They wanted to get a selfie with Jesus. Palm branches were out. Trees were out. Singing Hosanna. If I was to quote Psalm 118 verse 38, the Bible says, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now I want you to listen carefully because I'm giving a lot of context here. You will not understand the end of this message if you don't, understand, if you don't listen to every part that I'm talking about. Why palm branches? Why palm branches? Palm branches go back 100 years from that point of time. For generations before Jesus was born, there was a struggle for Jewish independence. Generations before, the Jewish people would always be ostracized. They would always be put down. And very recently, 100 years earlier, the Jewish independence was sought after because of the Maccabean revolt that gave them that independence. There was a Syrian king called Antiochus Epiphanes. This is name that he actually gave for himself, which means I am God. Or it was this nickname that he gave that says, I am a beast of a God or I am a mad man. This man would go and he would persecute, he would kill Jews, he would make life just horrible and hell for the Jews. But at the same time, God raised this Jewish leader called Judas Maccabee. This man was nicknamed the hammer because of the power that this guy had, the boldness that this guy had. 
He was a fairly righteous man who would upset the fact, he was upset at the fact that the Syrians had occupied the city of Jerusalem. He was angry. He rallied a, a group and an army of Jewish men to fight by his side against these Syrians. So what happens in, six, in 163 BC, he enters Jerusalem riding, now listen carefully, on a massive stallion. He rides in on a white massive stallion and after defeating this guy that has been ostracizing them, he has the victory and this man, conquer, this conquered man, this man that is a victor, this man that has just trampled and stepped on this, 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 this guy that has put them down for centuries, he is riding into Jerusalem and guess what people are doing? They have palm branches in their hand and they're cheering and the words they use is Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Because the word Hosanna doesn't really have to do with Jesus. It just means come save us. Thank you for saving us. Judas was their hero. Now I don't want you to confuse this with Judas Iscariot. That's not what I want you to confuse this with. This is a historical figure called Judas. Judas was the hero and many thought that he was the Jewish Messiah. When they entered the city, they cleaned out the temple. They, they, they burnt incense. They offered sacrifice. They came into Jerusalem. They, hit this, they lit this huge menorah that burned for eight days. And to this day, our Jewish friends celebrate eight days of the Festival of Lights or Hanukkah to celebrate this particular accomplishment of Judas Maccabee walking into Jerusalem, victor, palm branches waving all around, everyone saying, thank you for being our savior. But they thought that that was a savior promised to them. Listen up. Not long afterwards, Judas was killed in battle. He was buried. He died. He wasn't the savior that they expected him to be. He wasn't the promised Messiah that they thought he was. See, when Judah came riding into the city, he was greeted by adoring throngs of people. The people waved branches and cheered Hosanna. Blessed is he who came in the name of the Lord. Like almost everything parallel, like, like, like parallels with what occurs when Jesus enters the city four generations later. Except for one thing, when Judas entered the city, what was he mounted on? A massive stallion. Why would he do that? Why ride such a powerful animal as he entered Jerusalem? He did that because he wanted to show his majesty, his authority. He did that because he wanted to show that, that he had conquered. He intended to set up an earthly kingdom. He wanted a following and he required an earthly kind of power. But in the end, he dies. And so did his dream of this earthly kingdom that he was trying to build. And this earthly kingdom that will never last. And right now, Israel wants a redo. It didn't happen four centuries ago. So I don't know if it's going to happen again. They brought out the palm branches. Maybe Jesus is our king. Maybe Jesus is going to rescue us from these Romans. Maybe Jesus is going to free us from the slavery that we're in. As far as the Jews were concerned, that's all they wanted was somebody that can set them free from their slavery. Somebody that can give them temporary relief from the chains that bound them. Somebody that could free them from the, from the tyranny of, of Rome and the tyranny of Caesar and the tyranny of, of Pontius Pilate and the people that would ostracize them and the taxes that they were taking. They just wanted freedom from all of that. 
This oddly sounds like a lot of relief that we want in our lives and what we use God for in our lives. This is a true awakening moment, Palm Sunday. If I, I, I want and I hope in my heart that it will talk to you and speak to you the same way it did to me as God spoke to me. I want, I want us to understand what goes around this. They brought out the palm branches when they were successful in throwing out the Syrians and, and they thought that this is exactly what's going to happen with the Roman Empire. Bringing them out again with them saying, save us with a hope that it's going to be a deliverance like that one. They were hoping that he was a political force. They were hoping that he was this king, that he was going to dethrone the Roman Empire and he was going to become a king and they would have a kingdom. He was ba they were basically saying, Hosanna, save us from the political threats of the Roman Empire. It was sweet because they were worshiping Jesus and it was bitter because the same people that were worshiping Jesus would turn their backs just a few days later on Sunday and betray him and say, kill him. I need us to understand this. But unlike Judas, Jesus was coming to fulfill his purpose and mission of his birth. Jesus was born so that he can die. That incarnation of Jesus led to the atonement of Jesus. Revelation 12, 13 verse 8 tells us that from the foundations of the world, before it was laid, he was purposed and planned to be the lamb that would be slain. It was plain. It was plain. I need us to understand the gravity of this. This time he decided to enter the city for the last time in a way that would draw attention to himself for this hour had finally come. See, it was very different from before. Because Jesus, that's why I said, I don't, know, I don't know why he rode in on a donkey, and this is beautiful, and you'll understand this in a little bit. But till now, Jesus was like, hey, don't tell anybody about, about what I just did. I healed you, but don't tell anybody. I, 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 you know, he would, he would heal people, he would escape. Don't tell anybody, because my hour has not yet come. Tell no one about what happened. Don't tweet this, don't Instagram this, don't TikTok this, don't take selfies. Like, like now he wants to make a move, though. Like things are turning. He used to withdraw, walk away from crowds. Now he's intentionally moving into one. By contrast to Judah, like when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, what does he ride on? He doesn't ride in on a horse. He rides in on a donkey because a donkey is generally not considered to be an animal of war. That's not what the message, what Jesus is wanting. Jesus is looking at them and saying, you're looking for a king that's coming in on a horse. I am not that. I am something else. And I want you not just to see me as king and the prince of peace, but I want you to see me as savior. Why donkey? You would think that he would come on a white stallion. I mean, one day he will. He's going to come back on a white horse. I call it the air horse one. One day he's going to come back. The skies are going to be rendered open. And he, some of y'all didn't get that, but you'll get that eventually. But you would think that Jesus would come in on a limousine with security and, 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 and in people with black suits just following him and running with him. But Jesus rides him not on a limousine, but in a Honda Fit. Am I talking like, like last time I said Honda Fit, Richard got mad at me because Richard was like, I had a Honda Fit. What's wrong with a Honda Fit? What's wrong with a Honda Fit is I don't fit in a Honda Fit. That's, what, that's why I hate on a Honda Fit. Here he is rolling in on a donkey. See, culturally in Rome, conquer, a conquering king would come in on a donkey because you were the hero. 
In Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9, the Bible says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. He's a saving king. Someone say saving king. Not only is he a king, but he is a savior. Come on, let us not lose. Righteous and having salvation is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. It's a fulfillment of a prophecy. See, if a king would come to wage war with a city, he would come riding in on a horse. If he came to make peace with a city, he would come in riding on a donkey. Jesus wasn't coming in for war. There was an arrest warrant on him. Posters of him stuck all over trees, all over Jerusalem. He was forcing their hand. He was the most wanted man in, Na- in, in, in Jerusalem. Jesus of Nazareth. He was not coming as a vi- like he was not coming in as a victim. He wanted everyone to know, I am coming in peace. I am coming as a victor. My question to some of us today is, what do you see Jesus as? Because for us, if some of us just see him as king, you see him as provider, you see him as deliverer, you see him as one that just comes through and fights your battles for you, and that's it. See, the mission of Jesus was just not to be a king. That's true, and that's great, and that's awesome. He wants to be a king, but there's a deeper, deeper seated reason as to why Jesus came, and that's what he was trying to let the Jews know, that I just did not come to be a king. I came to save the world from the misery and the sin that you're living in. You want temporary relief from Rome, but I want to give you life and life in eternal See, about a year before this, Jesus was teaching a large large crowd out in the country. It was actually getting late and the people were hungry, so Jesus instructed his disciples to feed them. I don't know if you remember this, but the only food on hand was his lunch of a little boy, and Jesus blessed that paltry amount of food and, and fed everyone present. And the Bible says there were 12 baskets of leftover, and the crowd was so impressed by this king that had just provided for them that you know what they said in John 6 verse 15? He said, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. You got to understand, every opportunity Jesus got to escape from, from the tendencies of man to make him something that he wasn't, he took that opportunity. Don't be alarmed when Jesus doesn't answer your prayers. Don't be alarmed when Jesus detaches himself from certain situations in your life because you are trying to put him in a place that he's like, no, 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 I don't want to be that for you in this season. I want to address certain other things in your life. I need to to talk about it. I need to get into this. See, the crowd sensed that Jesus had this bearing to be a long-awaited king of Israel. Man, the kind of king that they wanted wasn't what Jesus actually had in mind. Jesus was on a mission I want to talk to somebody today. See, if you're on a mission, do not be distracted by the fleeting awards of the world. Stop living for the applause of other people. Stop living for the temporary, oh, you're awesome, let me give you a promotion. Stop living on that. Stop thriving on that. So many people see Jesus as king because of the security the king provides. I want to remind you, be careful of the people who glorify you momentarily. Jesus didn't want to be distracted by it. Jesus did not want to be distracted on the pinnacle when, when, when the enemy looked at him and said, look at everything, it will all be yours. He says, go away from me, Satan. Why? Because I don't want to be distracted by the mission that I have in front of me. Hmm. 
run from situations that are trying to take you away from your purpose. You have a purpose. They wanted an earthly king. They wanted a Judah 2.0. That's what they wanted. A king who would not only sit on the throne of David, but to lead forth and battle against these hated Romans. They were focusing on the now. They were losing focus of eternity. They were losing focus of who they were and whose they were. You are my people, my people, my people is what God repeatedly told them over and over again. And all they wanted was to establish dominion on earth when God looked to them and said, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. You are my people. And what that means is that you have eternal security. I want some of us to understand this church. Focusing on the now, losing eyes on eternity. Jesus was everything they could hope for in a leader. He was charismatic. He was decisive. He was powerful. He was capable of feeding thousands of soldiers. Man, why wouldn't I vote a guy like that in? If you promise me food stamps, free of cost, if you feed me every day, yeah, if you give me free food, free money, let me vote you in. Let me make you my king. That's what I want. That's what people wanted. If you can feed 5,000 every single day, go ahead, be my king. I don't want to work another day in my life. Like what kind of army on the face of the earth could stand such, against such a king? They wanted an earthly king. See, they wanted Jesus, but they wanted Jesus on their own terms. They wanted King Jesus, conditions apply. I want you to listen to me. They wanted a deliverer and a, they, they wanted a deliverer and a Messiah that would conform to their plans instead of them conforming to his plans. They wanted Jesus to destroy Rome, not to vanquish their sins. They wanted a king who would take away their pain, not a savior who would take away their sins. See, sometimes when we focus on just the aspect of King Jesus being a provider and the one on the throne in our lives, we just got, get caught up in the things that Jesus can do for us, not in what he has done for us. What he has done for us outweighs every single thing that he can do for us in the future. I want to remind somebody this morning that they didn't want Jesus to mess with a hypocritical, superficial, cherished tradition. They just wanted him to do what they wanted at that time. They will sing, sing praises to a Jesus who they think will give them wealth, success, and happiness. But the moment they can, he can deliver that, they will crucify a king that will require and demand obedience, commitment, and devotion. I'm okay with a king that blesses. I need, but, but when Jesus says, I need your devotion, I need your time, I need your discipleship, I need you to show up on Wednesdays, I need you to show up on Sundays, I need you to show up on time, I need you to worship me. Eh, pastor, I don't know about that. Because this is the same group of people who, who lay down the palm branches and shoot his praises when they expect him to do what they want him to do. But when he does not live up to their standards, these are the same people that would reject him and turn their backs on him. Man, I want to I remind somebody this morning that God is looking for people that are strong in your faith. There's so many of us Christians that like the idea of God or even think that Jesus is special. I don't know if you know Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. That he came down to die for your sins. Not just to give you a good life. Or to make you feel good. That's, 
Like your idea of King Jesus is skewed if you don't understand that he died on the cross. He came to die for your sins. This is, this is, it's the most important part of the gospel message. For so many of us, it's a, I'm a Christian and I love Jesus, but I don't agree with parts of the Bible. I feel it's ancient, pastor. That holiness stuff, like the be holy for I'm, no, 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 that's, that's what the Bible says. I love Jesus, but I don't like the thing that he's, well, I'm sorry that you feel that way. But that's discipleship. Some of us have it difficult in our walks with God because he doesn't measure up to our expectations. We struggle with our faith. Man, a faith that cannot sustain you in crisis is not a strong faith at all. A faith that, that cannot be tested, cannot be trusted. I want to remind some of us today that God is able to do whatever he pleases with whomever he chooses, whenever he wishes. But they just wanted a king for a day. They wanted a king that would make them feel good. But you know what the Bible says? Jesus looks over Jerusalem and he weeps over Jerusalem. He weeps over Jerusalem. He weeps at the tomb of Lazarus. That's one place that he weeps. And the next place he weeps is he looks at Jerusalem and he starts weeping. You know why? Because he said, you don't get it. Like, you don't get it. You don't get why I came. I wish you get it is what his message was. That's all he wanted. Why? Because he healed, he fed, he saved, he set free. His ministry was almost over. It would only be a matter of hours before one of his disciples turned his back on him. He would be turned over to the authorities, first to Caiaphas and then to Pontius Pilate. But he saw the future of Jerusalem and it was not going to be pretty. I want you to listen to me. When Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem, what he was looking at was years down the line in the destruction that was going to happen in 40 years. In 70 AD, when Titus led Romans into Jerusalem, there were 143 days of siege. 600,000 Jews were put to death. Thousands of them taken captive. And Josephus, the historian, says that the rivers of blood flowed through the city. The temple was burnt, dismantled stone by stone. And Jesus stood over the city and he cried. And he wept because he said, your culture... And your people are going to go through so much pain. But if you don't have salvation and if you don't have Jesus in your hearts, if you don't have me inside of you to take away the sin, the world, like that's all he wanted us to understand. That he was our savior. That the conditions of the world, the things that were happening around us, like Jesus doesn't take pleasure in pain and suffering. He wept. He wept at what was going to happen in Jerusalem. I want to close this. Can you bring up that, um, that slide? On the 10th day of the month of Nisan, I'm going to go do a quick review. On the 10th day of the month of Nisan was the day that the Jewish people would bring that sheep that they had picked. And they would say, come on, let's go and pick. The kids would all go together. They would pick that sheep. They would bring it and say, all right, we're getting ready to present the sheep. They would groom the sheep. They would get it ready. They would wash the sheep. They would make sure that it was presentable so that on the, next, on, on the same day, the 10th day of the month of Nisan, Jesus presents himself, the sheep that was about to be slaughtered, the lamb that was about to be slaughtered, presents himself on the same day. I want you to get this church. The lamb represented sacrifice. On the 14th day, it was going to be inspected by the priest. 
The 10th day was the day that families were holding in their hands these, this lamb. In a few days, sins were going to be pardoned. In a few days, these lambs were going to be bleeding all over the city. In a few days, on the day of the Passover, all you could hear was the sound of bleeding lambs. But in a few hours after that, those voices won't be heard anymore. And that sacrifice would have been good for one year. Listen up. That sacrifice would have been good for one year. And on that same day, the Lamb of God walks right into the city. He rides. Now, now this, this is powerful if you think about it. The Lamb of God climbs on a donkey. Jesus decides to present himself. People are shouting, Hosanna, lamb in one hand, palm branches in the other. In four days, this lamb was going to be inspected. I want you to go to the next slide. In four days, the 14th day of the month, the priest would inspect the lamb. On the 14th day of the month, in four days, Jesus would be brought up to Caiaphas. And Jesus would be brought up to Pontius Pilate to be inspected. And they would, they would make that call and they would make that judgment. Is this lamb going to be sacrificed or not? And what Jesus was trying to convey to the people was, I am the lamb that has come to take away the sins of the world. It's not a king that you need. You need a savior, a savior that can take away all that you don't have to do this year after year after year. See, the difference was this, that they would silence the lamb by killing it. But this lamb, you can try to kill it all you want. But three days later, this lamb will bleed again. This lamb will live and live in eternity, from eternity to eternity. Fascinating chronology, indisputable history. Jesus in John 14 verse 27 says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you what the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Church, if there's one message I can give you today is this. Jesus is not only your king, Jesus is your savior. On that day, on that day of the Passover in front of millions of people, all Jesus wanted to let them know is this year going forward, whatever you do with these lambs going forward is going to be useless because today is going to be a defining moment. It's going to be a defining moment if you would say yes to this lamb. You know, in Luke chapter 19, would you stand up with me, church? Worship team, you guys can come up. In Luke 19... Verse 41, there's this beautiful verse. Mm. Can you put that up, James? In, in Luke chapter 19, verse 41, the Bible says this. And when he drew near and he saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day that the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you on every side. He was going to talk about 40 years from that moment. What was about to happen? And tear you down to the ground and you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. 
In another translation, it says, you do not recognize the visitation of Jesus. He says, all this will happen to you because you did not recognize that Jesus was your savior. He was that lamb. That's all he was saying, that you did not know the time of your visitation. When Jesus visited you as your savior, and I, and I pray that that's something that we would be able to communicate with the world around us, is that Jesus is not only king, but he is our savior. That's you. I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know what kind of situation. I don't know what kind of condition. I don't know what phase. I don't know what chapter of life you're going through today. What pain you're walking through today. I want to remind you something today. That my God sees you in your pain. See, I don't know what, how far away from God you are. I don't know if God means anything to you, but I want to remind somebody today. At the beginning of this Passion Week, this Holy Week, I want to remind you something. That Jesus voluntarily, willingly, became that lamb to be sacrificed on the cross. He didn't come on a horse. He wasn't, he wasn't trying to make a statement. He, was, he came in as a servant. He came in with humility. He came in on a donkey because people in, that came in peace came in on a donkey. Kings that just won wars, they, they rode in on a donkey because what they were trying to communicate was peace I bring to you. But Jesus was not just communicating peace I bring to you. He says, I am peace. I am the definition of peace. He says, you want peace? Here, just say yes to me. Three years, he says, I don't want to be anywhere near you. You're trying to make me king. That's not what I want, y'all. If he wanted to be king, he could have become king. He could have, he could have reigned over. He had plenty of opportunities, but every opportunity he had for somebody put a, a crown on his head. The only crown that came on his head was the one that was forced on him. One that he could not take off, that he did not have control over. Pierced down his head thorns and everything shoved down to his skull but he had to go through that because he was just not king but he was also savior I don't know what kind of Jesus you know is it just a Jesus of convenience is it a Jesus that just provides for you is it a Jesus that we just pray to day after day and day after day and day? or are we looking at Jesus as our savior as our Lord what does that mean is he Lord of your life is he Lord over every part of your life is he Lord over your addictions is he Lord over your shortcomings is he Lord over your marriage is he Lord over your children is he Lord over your job is he savior of every single thing in your life or do you have a certain control that you don't want to relinquish in your life It says you're not going to see it because you don't recognize the visitation of Jesus. I don't want to be caught up in that hoopla, y'all. There's one message that Jesus wants to convey to us is I am your Savior. If there's one message the angels wanted to convey to the shepherds, the lowly shepherds, it was this. Today, in this land, a Savior is born. Stop looking for things. Stop searching for things that you're not going to find. 
See, the blessings of God are just a part of what God does in your life. If you're blessed by God, if you ask to bless, if you ask God to be, you know, uh, 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 an anointing, all that is great. It's just a part of who God is. It comes with the being of God. But the essence of God is, is that He became man. He became man. He sent His only begotten Son flesh not to rule as king but to sacrifice to give up his life to be a sacrifice to be a savior and today if you don't have Jesus in your heart if you don't know Jesus as your savior I want to give you an opportunity guys what that simply means is that he is the one that's interested in your heart He's interested in your future. He's interested in your eternity. If you die today, he says, I want you to know that you will be with me. That your future is secure. That your eternity is secure. I don't know how many of you are guaranteed of that. I don't know how many of us can surely for 100% would surely say that if I die today, I am going to be with Jesus. And that's all Jesus wants to ensure is that he's your savior. He can save you from this eternal damnation that, that this world is leading you to. Stop being deceived that Jesus is only here to give you things and bless you and this and this. That's great. That's honest. That's, that's awesome. That's beautiful. But the truth doesn't change that he is his first mission, his mission that he came to earth was, with, with was to save, to set free. As we just spend a few moments here, I want to give an opportunity. If there's anybody here that wants to say yes to Jesus, every eye closed in this place, every eye closed all over this place. I'm going to ask the worship team to come here and start leading worship in a few moments. I'm going to pray and dismiss, but those of y'all who want to stay here and spend some time in worship, you're welcome to like we always do, Sunday after Sunday. But I'm going to pray for certain people today. Then if that's you, you say, Pastor, that's me. I need to understand Jesus is my Savior, my Lord. He wants, He's interested in my, in my well-being. He's interested in my heart. He's interested in my addictions. He's interested in my shortcomings. He's interested in every part of my being. And what that means is waking up every single day and saying, Lord, I'm a sinner in desperate need of forgiveness and mercy and love and grace. That's what that means. That's you. You're saying, Pastor, I need to know this Jesus. I need to know him as my Savior. Would you slip up your hands real quick all over this place? Can I see? Can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? Pray for all of you right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Every eye closed in this place. I'm going to ask Eric and, Eric and, uh, and, and, uh, Eric and Rebecca to come and help us out of prayer today. But I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for hands that were lifted. I'm going to pray that God will bless you, that will keep you. I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing over you. But if there's anybody that needs prayers today, that could be in your personal life. That could be something to do with your job, your marriage. It doesn't matter. Your children, a sickness you're going through, whatever it is, we're here to pray for you. We have a team here ready to pray for you. But I want to pray for you. If you made that decision today, all over this building, would you pray with me and say, Jesus, would you be my Savior? Would you be my Lord? Would you be my king? I don't want to treat you as a commodity. I just don't want to ask of you every day.
but I want to experience you. I want your saving power to save me, to rescue me. I want to know the depth of your love. Thank you for being my savior. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for being the lamb that took the place, that took the place of the sacrifices that I would have to make, the guilt and the shame that I would have to lay down year after year. It was just as you sent your son, Lord, riding on that donkey. Father God, I just want to say thank you for this moment of forgiveness that's happening in this place. The Holy Spirit wants to remind somebody here that He forgives you. I don't know who's messed up, but if that's you and you're like, I've messed up, Pastor. I've, I've, I've done so many things that I'm not proud of. I, I don't think there's coming back. God's looking at you today, right now, and saying, I love you unconditionally. I love you. I care for you. Father, I pray for every person that's in this building. Every person that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior. I pray, God, that they will know you on an intimate level in an intimate, in an intimate way as Lord and Savior of their life. We thank you. We praise you. We want to give you glory. We want to give you honor. We want to give you praise. Thank you for this week. Thank you, Lord, for everything that's happening. We pray for souls this week. We pray that you will bring in people to hear the gospel of Jesus this week. I pray for Friday. I pray for Sunday. I pray that Jesus, the name of Jesus will be lifted up. I pray that people will come to know the saving grace of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the unfailing love of Jesus. And we'll be reminded that because you live, we can face tomorrow. We thank you and we praise you. Our glory and honor be unto you. We give each and every person in this place into your hands. Church, may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious to you. May he lift his countenance, your direction. May he give you peace that passeth all understanding. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody said, amen. Thank you for listening. We love bringing you the word on so many different platforms. We are so thankful for what God is doing in and through us. We'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss out. And don't forget to share this message if it has blessed you.